Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. On this episode, I am joined by Chris Burge, the co-founder and CEO of Spark Crowdfunding. Chris, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Ryan. It's nice to be here. Thanks very much for having me. Delighted to have you. Typical fashion, what we do with this podcast is we go right back to the beginning, chapter one, and work our way from there. So from my research, it looks like you grew up in the Midlands of the UK. Am I correct? Well, not necessarily the Midlands. I grew up in a place called Chester, which is right on the Welsh border and just below Liverpool. So it's about 30 miles from Liverpool. Um, and I grew up in a rural village uh, called Farndon, which is literally right on the Welsh border. So I could uh, stand on one side of the river and throw a stone into, uh, into Wales uh, quite easily. So, uh, so that's where I grew up and spent most of my, uh, most of my childhood and up to my teens. Talk to me about your uh, childhood growing up there. What was it like? Got any fond favorite memories? I loved uh, yeah, my childhood. Yeah, we had, a, a, as I say, it was quite a rural life. Um, it was a small village um, just about 10 miles away from Chester, uh, which in itself isn't a big city anyway. Um, and of course, it's dwarfed by Liverpool and Manchester, which are just, as I say, are just a bit further up the road. Um, but um, no, very rural life. Um, we had to travel by bus to the school, the secondary school, which was kind of in a, uh, another village, you know, kind of somewhere away, you know, 10, 15 miles away. Um, but uh, no, had a very enjoyable time. Um, what, probably one of my favourite memories is the, the river that I just spoke about there and, and kind of walking there with my dog um, as, uh, as I grew up as a, a young teenager, really. And uh, no, had a great, great life. Thanks. So early days growing up down there, who do you think had the biggest impact on you or inspired you the most? Wow. Um, well, obviously my mother and father have the, had a big impact on me and kind of them standing over me and kind of making me do my homeworks at various points and everything. But I do remember a teacher of mine, a science teacher, actually a chemistry teacher in secondary school called Mr. Ravenscroft. Howard is his first name, actually. Um, and he was an amazing teacher, very unusual, uncommon kind of mechanism for teaching. And some found it quite abrasive but for me it was very very opening and he he treated us more as young adults as opposed to children and um that he was a he was a big influence and uh, you know and he kind of you know guided me down the science route as well not that i i think was i was a kind of against that anyway but uh, i was an easy uh, student to kind of uh, cajole down that route and uh, i went on to do you know biology and physics as, as an A-level as well. I didn't do the chemistry actually, but um, biology and physics as an A-level, which uh, um, yeah, obviously was the start to my engineering uh, career as well afterwards. So uh, so yeah, no, he, he was a very big influence, but he passed away just a, a couple of years ago, I, I, I heard actually. So uh, anyway, he's no longer with us, but uh, no, big influence, big influence. Amazing to see the influence some of the teachers can have on us. I know my yeah. French teacher uh, turned around my love for French or my hate into love. Um, you talked about engineering, getting into engineering. I know that you started, uh, you studied engineering in Coventry and then later on energy management in DIT, which is now TUD. But uh, you ended up being your own boss. Do you come from a family of entrepreneurs? 
Well, entrepreneurs is probably a little bit of a stretch. Um, no, not really. Uh, my mother worked in the bank and my father uh, worked in uh, commerce for most of his life, but was made redundant in his, I'd say, probably his early 50s, something like that. And, you know, started his own business up. And um, but it was, you know, it, it wasn't a kind of manufacturing business. It wasn't it, it was a very small kind of you know, one man band or actually I think he actually employed another person in the end. But it was very small. So, no, I wouldn't say that that was a, a big kind of entrepreneurial kickstart to life. And in fact, I kind of um, never really thought that I would be an entrepreneur, uh, you know, because my my life as a, an early engineer was very much a, a constructed mechanism of kind of going from, you know, up the ladder and, you know, getting into the management of an engineering company and, and thereafter. So, no, I never really thought about it, but no, uh, certainly not from my parents anyway. Um, and not many other people around uh, my 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 friends' fathers or mothers were were entrepreneurs really. Um, there were a couple, of course, and you could see them kind of you know who who'd done well and yeah you know, who had drove the nice cars or lived in the nice houses. But um, no, it was uh, it was something that I kind of gathered as as time went on really. Through my research, I can see that you've been to places like well, obviously raised in the UK, France, South Africa, United States of America. What's one thing you're into or curious about that not a lot of people would know about you? I'm a big, I'm a big Francophile. I know you've just mentioned talking about your hate from French and into love. So I, I, I worked there for, uh, for just before I moved to France, actually. Um, in fact, I was uh, my, my, my girlfriend at the time, now wife. Uh, we, we commuted between the two countries for for uh, for a good period of time. Um, so I, I'm a big Francophile. Love the French way of life. Love the way that they, um, you know, just kind of exist and kind of you know the the food culture, the uh, the 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 the, the uh, kind of locality co- culture as well, where you you know, get your everything from the local shops. I, I just love that kind of way of life. But I mean, there, there are aspects of French life as well which are very uh, unappealing as well, uh, particularly their their entrepreneurship and, and lack of um, and the fact that there's a big state um, yeah, influence uh, within France of course uh, on the total flip side to that is the, is the states of course where everything is much much well totally free um, and um, and yeah you, the entrepreneurial uh, element there is is very very uh, encouraging and and nice to see but there are other aspects of the American life that you know perhaps aren't quite so appealing as well. Yeah, it's a yin and yang. Actually, to talk about my love-hate relationship with French, that teacher inspired me so much that I ended up doing Erasmus and living in France for six months. So again, going back to the impact of teachers that can have on you. Anyway, I digress. Started working as an engineer, then moved into energy management. What had you leave a corporate job to start your own business? Well, when I was working uh, in France, I was working big corporate you know, manufacturing business and um, and the the... My, my, my wife, uh, she didn't speak French, uh, so for her moving to France wasn't uh, you know, going to be an easy, uh, easy transition. Uh, the UK was then the next option, of course, and you know, us both finding a job in the same city wasn't going to be so easy. Uh, so I moved over here and, and as, when I moved over here, I moved into a consultancy, first of all, um, and, you know, and, uh, and did some uh, consulting, uh, which was you know, my, my move from corporate, you know, big manufacturing, you know, big organisation into something much more, much smaller, uh, very small. In fact, there were only kind of you know, a handful of us in the, in the consultancy. So, so that was the that was the move across. And um, so, yeah, that was the I suppose the 
the start of my move away from big commerce. You've mentioned in previous podcasts that you moved to Ireland slash Dublin 20 years ago. What was it that had you move here? My wife now. Okay. So, so it's actually you, 21. I, I was actually recalibrating it, actually. Yes, it, I moved over in uh, Easter 2000, so it's just 21 years now. So, um, so yeah, a lot of my, uh, my business life really has been here in Dublin now, and, uh, and, and my, um, my uh, connections have grown significantly, obviously, within, within the Dublin life or Irish life as well, uh, to, that, to, to that extent. So, so yes, yeah, so that was my, that was my reason for, for moving over. Uh, yeah, we, 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 as I say, we couldn't really move to France. We didn't move to the UK because of the logistics of get us, get us both finding a job in the same city at the same time. So, so by default, we moved here. And I, at the, at the beginning, I thought, oh, listen, it'll be over here for a few years and somewhere else afterwards. But 21 years later, I still find myself here. And now I've got two daughters who are in kind of schools and, you know, the, the chances of moving anywhere else are, are very slim now. But not, not that I want to. I, I, I really enjoy kind of living in Ireland. The reason why I ask is because you moved to Ireland while, you know, 20 odd years ago, my parents moved to the UK because they couldn't find jobs. So it was strange because there was one going one way and the other going the other way. You're now self-employed business owner, co-founder. What's your favorite aspect of running a business? I like the diversity of, of what we ha- what I have to do on a daily basis. It's uh, and, and the kind of having to strategically think about positioning the business in order to grow. That's a, that's a big change to corporate life, obviously, where in corporate life, you're just kind of doing your job. You're fairly blinkered, although, you know, obviously some people are a little bit less less so. But um, you, you, you have to think very laterally uh, when you're running a business uh, like uh, like Spark. And, um, yeah, and, and that aspect of it is really quite appealing to me. And uh, I've really embraced it and I, I, I really love it and, and love what I do now. Uh, I didn't really enjoy engineering as much, uh, yeah, looking back on it now at the time I, I did and I, I, I enjoyed doing it. I think I was fairly reasonable at it. Uh, but, uh, but looking back and comparing what I was then and what I am now, totally chalk and cheese and um and 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 i've heard so many entrepreneurs say this as well but i wish i'd started earlier and of course i wish i'd started earlier as well you say chalk and cheese and you're correct in saying that you know from engineering to what you're in now crowdfunding i first came across you from zip mobility charlie gleason his company they've they've done a round of uh raising money with your business talk to me or talk to the people more so what is crowdfunding and how does it work? So crowdfunding is a two-sided marketplace where we have kind of companies on one side who are seeking funds and investors on the other who have got money and are wanting to invest into early stage businesses. And we are just a facilitator. We just matchmake between the two. So we showcase the, the companies who are looking for the money and we uh, ask the investors on the other side to, to look at it and, get, and consider whether they want to invest. It's totally their decision as to whether they go for company A or B or C or all three of them. Who knows? And um, they decide how much they're going to put in as well. So those small uh, amounts of money 
from a large pool of people suddenly start to kind of you know raise that money amount and uh, with with charlie he was seeking 400,000 we've got over 500,000 for him now and um and uh, he's delighted obviously so he's he's got a another round of funding uh, well it's not completed yet but it will be very soon um in a very very short period of time whereas if you were seeking that same amount of money from a vc or a angel network it would take you three or four or five times as long to, to to do the same same thing and was that what got you into it to give kind of the company owners the ability to tap into a broader network of people so they could get funding from them rather than going to venture capitalists yeah well i mean it was i, I saw the rise and rise of, of crowdfunding uh, you know not only in the uk but kind of in the us and and uh you know, together with my co-founder, we we went. Okay, well, listen. Why why doesn't that exist here? Why why don't we why don't we look at it? So so we did, and we started to kind of do the research behind it and kind of work out what uh, how it worked and you know what we could do. And we've we've adapted the model, so we, we're not exactly the same as the the UK or the US ones, and we have a uh, you know slightly different approach, but nevertheless, ultimately the same thing by raising money for companies you know from from the crowd from people. So it it helps democratize that investment because if you wanted to invest and let's take let's take charlie and he, he's a he's an enterprise island hpsu company that the state has invested in through enterprise island if you are somebody who's got a spare few hundred quid or even a few thousand quid you couldn't invest in a, an enterprise island backed business before it was just not possible it's not feasible it would cost you as much in legal fees and you know uh, and and third party professional fees to, to put that money in that it would be to actually invest anyway. So, so this kind of opens it up to more, uh, a, a broader base of people to help um, young companies, but also to help themselves as well, to get a return on that investment. And that's ultimately what these investors are doing. They're not doing it because they like Charlie, they're doing mm -hmm. it because they like Charlie and they think it's gonna give them a, uh, a return on their investment. So their investment of 1,000, hopefully will become three or five or 10,000 as well in a, in a couple of years time. And that's ultimately what they're trying to do. Safe to say for any listeners that your company, you guys do your due diligence because you accept, I think it was one in every 10 or one in every 12 that come to you and say, hey, we want to do crowdfunding from your platform. Um, and there's investors that have invested upwards of, you know, multiple six figures as well. So it's not just small investors that are on your platform, but for anyone listening, and I'll put the links to your site below in whatever you're listening or watching this on YouTube um, to, to check out any of the companies that are currently looking for investment. But for anyone listening, what can they expect? I know you typically say like five to seven years for return on your money, but rather than me just making an assumption, do you want to tell the people of, if I invest today, I can expect to see a return or just ignore that for five to 10 years, then look at it. We, most, most startup companies are not looking at the 10 year kind of bracket. They're, they're looking for a return. Uh, so they're looking for an exit within, uh, and then when I say an exit, that's either a trade sale or a flotation on a stock market, although that's very uncommon, um, or, a tr or a management buyout in a three to seven year time window really that's that's the uh, that's the ideal there are there'll be companies and you know that that, that don't uh, have an exit in seven years and it might be eight or nine who knows uh, yeah but that's certainly not the hope or, or aspiration of these companies these these companies are high scale uh, high growth companies that will reach a, a point 
that you know they'll be snapped up in in theory and in, in expectation by a larger company uh, a little bit further down the line and that's what uh, and that's what the investor is buying into as well now nobody has a crystal ball and can say yes okay after three years and six months we're going to be selling to um you know xyz company they nobody knows that so so it is really an aspiration as opposed to a guarantee um so but when you put your money in yes you pretty much have to it's totally illiquid so you pretty much have to leave it there and not forget about it but certainly don't expect um uh, anything very soon and in fact perhaps even don't expect anything and if when it does come it's a nice it's a nice surprise for you um because you know you know you, you also have to expect that, that, that five out of ten companies and maybe even six out of ten companies will fail so you're hoping that company uh six seven eight nine and ten will do you know 2x 5x 10x and 20x in order mm. to pay for uh, the ones that have failed so so that's that's how that's how it works I think what you're doing is brilliant, but I'm sure you've come up against challenges. Let's focus on the last kind of 12 to 18 months. Any challenges, objections, stalls that arose that you didn't expect and how did you tackle it? Um, ones that we didn't expect. Um, well, regulation is the big one that's coming in and, and, and that's, been, that's coming in uh, later on this year. So we were expecting that one to come in. So that, that's going to be um, a, a, you know, not, not a challenge as such, but something that we're going to have to work hard to, to, get, uh, to get sorted. Um, there, there will be other entrants into the market. Yeah, we're the first and only here in Ireland, absolutely. But yeah, we are absolutely expecting others to to start up as well. So, so they will be a challenge. And when that happens, then obviously that that, that pool is then kind of divided into two or three or four. And yeah, we're going to have to um, you know be better than the others in order to survive and in order to actually grow as well. Uh, and that's what we expect to be to be doing as well. Um, other challenges that have happened. I mean, the, there's always the kind of little hiccups that happen, you know, on a day to day basis, uh, but nothing that's been insurmountable and no, nothing that's really kind of gone. Oh, my goodness, we're going to you know, rock, we're going to be sunk here below the below the waterline if we if we don't plug this very quickly. There's been no kind of emergencies like that, thankfully. Um, so, so really, it's just the day-to-day -day grind to actually get more more investors in, get new clients coming up to us, and and you know, and and the marketing behind the, the spark to to make sure people understand who we are and what we do as well because I, 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 I you always think because you're in this own little bubble you know you're kind of doing your LinkedIn posts and you're doing your Twitter feeds and everything else and you kind of when you when you, when you don't look uh, when you don't stand back and look at it yourself and you're in this bubble you think oh everybody must know about Spark everybody absolutely knows about Spark why wouldn't they know about Spark but of course um when you do uh, speak to somebody no never come across you and they're in your industry and you go how did you not know about us so so we are marketing absolutely but we we can do a better job that's for sure and uh, we need to you know spread the word and that's what we that's what we try and do are there any sales or business leaders out there that you look up to yourself uh i just read um uh, the no rules rules by netflix uh, the the, uh, the 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 uh, the founder of netflix which i thought was amazing actually and i didn't know that that, that anything about uh, the netflix business actually until i read the book but um it's a very good read and uh, and what he's done um, is, an, um, is, is, is amazing. Uh, he basically, what the no rules rules, I don't know whether you've read it or come across it, but it's- No, uh, I'll have to add it to my list. It's basically um, uh, the 
getting rid of uh, by the definition of the book the no rules rule so so uh, so he basically takes away all the rules so there's no expenses claims you just do whatever is best for the company yeah he's taken away kind of all of the hr headaches that is that are there uh, you know he's talked about uh, increasing talent density so so okay Spark is quite a minnow, or very much a minnow compared to Netflix, but nevertheless, uh, I, 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 since reading that, I've really looked up to that and, and wow, and, and gone, wow, that's uh, something I'd like to implement many of those procedures into the, into the business as, as it grows. Now, as I say, I, I'm very much a minnow and not really uh, kind of got a, you know, 3,000 people to, to, to look after at the moment, but uh, nevertheless, one day maybe. One day, one day. The commonly held belief in your industry that, um, you let's put it this way you passionately disagree with uh well i was at um a, a talk uh, kind of a before COVID, this is pre-covid i was at a business meeting and one of uh, the panelists said that crowdfunding was illegal and uh, and I, it took me aback actually but I had to kind of go, but no, it's not. Absolutely, it's not. And we've had a legal expert opinion saying so. But and you know, there's kind of there's a there's a, a kind of maybe uh, amongst some people kind of going, oh, they look down their noses, particularly the people who are who are in these venture capitalists, uh, who are in these private equity houses, who who see crowdfunding as probably a, a, a disruptor and probably someone that's going to be eating their lunch at some stage. Uh, and they they tend to look down their noses at, at us a little but really we, we are exactly the same as them uh, we just have a wider pool of investors with perhaps not quite so deep pockets having said that you you mentioned yourself at the beginning we've had investors coming in with six figure fi six figure investments as well and 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 we're delighted that we do have those on our books and and yeah that that really helps uh, obviously some of the campaigns significantly but um, yeah, we'll regularly get you know uh, multiple tens of thousands being invested at a time. So so yes, we are a disruptor, and and those are the people who are, uh, are you know the, the people that we're disrupting. The VCs and the private equity houses are are um, you know perhaps sitting up a little bit a uh, bit more keenly now and listening to to what Spark is doing. Interesting, interesting. What continues to drive you, Christopher? Um, the, the passion of kind of doing this job, um, earning a money and growing a business into into something that's bigger and better than it is now. Uh, so that's really the main driving factor of, of what I'm doing. And as I say, I've I've embraced it uh, wholeheartedly, and I and I you know, skipped to my, from from my bedroom to my office anyway. At the moment, I was going to say skip to work, uh, but no, it's a very enjoyable uh, uh, enjoyable way of spending you know eight or ten or twelve or fifteen hours a day. Actually, it's very pleasant. I know that you talked about, and maybe you, uh, the answer to this may be differently now, but on a previous podcast I listened to, you talked about the typical kind of exit for one of the people that come onto your platform is three to seven years and that you hadn't seen an, an exit at that particular point yet. I don't know if that has changed, but um, the, the question I want to ask is, I want you to imagine it's the year 2030 and you're looking back on the last kind of nine to 10 years. What would you like to be looking back on from the perspective of the co-founder CEO of Spark? Well, I mentioned that kind of five or six out of 10 businesses fail and uh, mm. and and they do. And that's just a, a, a fact that we have to kind of uh, uh, to look at. But we curate, we're highly selective. As you said, we take about one in 10 companies um, that apply to us. And so because of that curation that we have and because of that kind of sifting that we have, I'd like to think that we are 
not losing, you know, that five out of the, the 10 companies that we've helped to fund have not gone bust. And hopefully that, that, that figure is uh, somewhat reduced. And I don't know whether it'll be one in 10 or one or three in 10 or four and a half in 10. I don't know. But nevertheless, in, in 10 years time, I'd like to be looking back and going, okay, well, listen, we helped yeah, all of these companies grow. And uh, we were the first people on the ladder, um, first investors that kind of invested into them. And I say we, Spark actually doesn't invest, but the, we facilitated, if you like, yeah. the investments at the first rung of the ladder. And that they've gone on to be, you know, I don't know, uh, you know massive companies. Who who knows that they could be uh, the next uh, the next Stripe who and and you know world domination. So um, so I'd like to be looking back at, at a number of the, the the alumni of the Spark alumni and, and going, okay, yeah, we helped them, we helped them, we helped them, and uh, and they've gone on to bigger and better things and and, and have made our investors, uh, you know, a healthy a healthy return on their investment and and made the uh, promoters, you know, a, 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 a strong successful business i hope that does happen for you one question that i started to ask people on my podcast is have you got any tricks might be the wrong word but let's let's use it for this question have you got any tricks that you've discovered to help keep you focused or productive throughout uh, a busy day um i i, I really uh, i'm quite diligent about uh, filing my emails <laughs> uh, to almost an excessive uh, point so so yes i will uh, yeah i don't have an inbox that is you know thousands long i will file and make sure that they are parked away so that i can hopefully quickly retrieve uh, an email that uh, you know, somebody is referring to or something that, that happens so so that's so that's my to-do list if you like my empty so i'll i'll keep my inbox uh, with that email in there until the until that uh, that task has passed and then move it in, into the file so so that's a I, I find that a very useful way of um, of uh, you know a trick if you like as you as you called it to 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 make myself productive um other others um well yeah cutting calls when we, we we've finished the job I mean particularly with uh, particularly with uh, uh, Zoom now, uh, you know, many people kind of slot a, a full hour into uh, a, a meeting when it doesn't need to be an hour. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. we'll, you know, cut that short whenever we uh, need to, but I'm, I'm sure many people do that as well. So uh, yeah. that wouldn't be uh, considered a trick, I'd imagine. But uh, no, I mean, COVID itself has made life very much more efficient as well. Um, and I, luckily I've been fortunate to, to have a business that hasn't needed to be, you know, in an office or kind of face-to-face very often although at the beginning we did think that that was going to be a bit of a a nightmare where we weren't going to do face-to-face -face meetings because up to that point we were meeting everybody you know in a in a, a, a hotel uh, lobby or wherever it happened to be for a quick coffee to talk about the actual um uh, this is the onboarding of the companies to talk about the yeah. company and and uh, how it all but of course that's all done remotely now and it's it works very efficiently so instead of actually having to dash across town or you know to to another meeting you know it's all done you know from from sitting in this chair you know, so of course that's very efficient if your house was burning down and i want you to imagine all your loved ones animals partners kids are all safe but you can only save one item from your house what one item would that be i'm probably staring at it. it's probably my laptop which is quite sad <laughs> I, I i also have um not that i'm i don't know whether you come across this thing called preppers um but i have a uh, a bag that is um that has got a few few things that uh, are dear to me as well that is tucked away just in the eaves of my uh, of my attic 
Um, and that is one as well. That, and in there is a, a number of things uh, that are dear to me of all shapes and sizes, some worthless, some worth something. Um, and uh, so that would be my grab bag that's, uh, that if the house is burning, that on my laptop, I'd be, uh, I'd be running out the house with. Nice. Well, look, I've, I've really enjoyed getting to know you a little more over the last 30 minutes. Um, and I wish you all success going forward. Thank you very much, Ryan. It's nice to chat to you. If your metro don't trust you, I'm gonna shoot you. Beautiful morning, you're the sun of my morning, babe. Nothing in my